we, we definitely want to make sure that we uh, share appreciation for moms. And uh, I had, I've uh, shared before uh, about my mom. I love her. And uh, she, uh, we spent, time with her, spent some time with her yesterday and uh, her and my dad. And uh, it's, it's awesome when you get a chance to uh, uh, just share, you know, share some time together and that kind of thing. Um, so I wanted to make sure if, if, you're, um, if you're someone here that um, is here for the first time to let you know that we love you, uh, that Christ loves you. Uh, that if you're here for the first time, we want to get to know you, so make sure you fill out your, uh, the information card so we can uh, make sure we can contact you and find out if there's anything we can do for you. Um, I want to take time right now to pray for mothers around the world. It's a little different uh, prayer that uh, I prayed a couple of years back, but I found it again this year and wanted to share with you guys. Uh, but wanted to spe- uh, uh, pray a special prayer that I feel like I uh, can can uh, share how this day um, can can mean and, and touch the lives of all people, but also help to uh, bring us uh, into realization what this day means for others. And so let's pray this prayer to th- this morning before we uh, begin our time of uh, our time with the, with the word. Lord, we pray to th- today for mothers around the world, and we pray for mothers who are in different ways and different pl- areas of life. Lord, for the, our mothers who have given us life and love. We pray that we may show them that same reverence and that same love in their age. We, we pray that, we, that they, we may show that same reverence and love to those around us. And we pray this in your name, Lord. For, for mothers who have lost a child through death, Lord, we pray that we may have faith that, that we can give them hope and their family and friends support them during this time, Lord. We pray this in your name, Lord. For women though they want children or are not able to have children or their own, who, like mothers, have nurtured and cared for others in this world and for us, we pray for these mothers, Lord. For women who want to be a mother and have, for many reasons, beyond their control, not been able to have children, we pray for them, Lord. We pray for those mothers. For mothers who have been unable to be a source of strength and have not responded to their children and not had the op- or have had the opportunity to sustain them but have, have failed to sustain them, Lord. For those that have been lost in life, Lord, we pray for them as well. We pray for your light of love to shine upon them in their life. Loving God, just like a mother, you give us life and nourishment for us, your children. You are our God who watches over us and, our, and you watch over the church. Bless all women around the world, that they may be strengthened as Christian mothers. Let them be an example of faith and of love, and let that love shine forth. Grant that we, their sons and daughters, may honor them always with a spirit of profound respect. And grant this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who loves us unconditionally. Amen. So this morning, um, it's actually uh, was unplanned, but uh, it's neat how, as we're talking about uh, the church, who uh, Christ refers to as his bride, that uh, it's Mother's Day. And uh, we're going to look in Revelation, as we began last week, the study of Revelation, um, we're going to be looking at what the church is in this, and where the church is in this the story of Christ, and uh, the Re- Revelation is, Christ, is Christ's promise re- fulfilled. 
Now, I'll share a couple of things as we kind of kind of look back to last week. But before that, if you if you miss a Sunday, if you're uh, if or if you know somebody that would like to hear any of this, you feel like it would be good. We're going to put this. Uh, this is available online, the MP3 format uh, on our website through even through a podcast. You can you can uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, but you'll be able to actually uh, re- listen to the sermon on your phone or on your computer. Uh, so it is available, and there's also a study resource that goes along with it. So if you're, uh, you have a small group or know somebody in a small group would like to study along with this, it has questions and also some facts and things as I go along uh, this morning. Um, but it's, it's usually available by Thursday each week. So if you're knowing somebody that would like to listen to it, and if you miss a Sunday, you won't miss everything, if that makes sense. So uh, this week, um, uh, we're going to continue to worship, continue to uh, move through Revelation. Uh, we'll look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. And so one of the things that, um, as we uh, look at last week, um, first thing is, is that we, if you've heard me say a couple of times, it's easy to get tongue twisted and say revelations. Revelation is, is the revelation of John. It's, it's singular, not plural. Uh, John doesn't have multiple revelations. He's saying one revelation that was brought by Jesus Christ uh, through God, through an angel, and shared with him. And, and, we, and so there's this like passing down of this message to John, and he's trying to interpret what this angel is sharing with him as he's writing these words down. Uh, we, we talked about how, um, how last week that the language is a little different. I mean, do you talk like this each and every day? Is there any other book in the Bible outside of any kind of prophetic book that actually uses this language? It's kind of scary. I mean, uh, in, in Revelation, it is apocalyptic literature. It's a big word that basically means you use symbols to describe things. Similes type, uh, type thing, where you, instead of saying that, um, that someone's great, you would say they're great times 100. <laughs> uh, or, or it might be something as, as simple as trying to disguise what you're saying so that if someone's to pick up this letter, that they wouldn't charge you with treason. Because a lot of this, these writings are treasonous to the Roman Empire. And see, the Roman Empire during this time was persecuting Christians. So the, the letter is written, written to the persecuted church. And it's written around 90 A.D. as, uh, as John is, has been exiled to Patmos. And we're going to learn about that this, this week. And, and we, we talked about how it's important to see how John is, is suffering He's a servant of Christ, and then the church is suffering during this time. And these words are meant to comfort and share this, this comforting me- message to them that Christ is in control, that Jesus is in control. And so John uh, go, started last week to kind of share this prologue to us that he's sharing who Jesus is. And we, there's two numbers that came up, and more numbers are going to show up. But the first two numbers that we've heard about is one is the number three, and that came up a lot, didn't it? If anybody was here last week, it came up over and over. And see, John will write in threes. So the first thing to know about three is that it's connected to the, the spirit, a spirit of God. It connects us to the Spirit of God, and, it, and it's meant to share that connection. It also connects us to the Trinity. It constantly reminds us of the God who was, the God who is, and is to come. And then the second number that came up is seven. Seven is used many times throughout the Bible, but we hear it in Revelation a lot. Uh, one time that you may have heard it is when, John, uh, when Peter asked Christ how many times he should forgive someone. And, he sa- and, and Jesus says seven times 77 or seven times seven. 
And basically, seven means two things. It means completeness, wholeness, or, and perfection. Those two qualities are found in, in seven. And so we learned last week when there's seven spirits before God's throne, it's not, the, it's not saying there's literally seven spirits. It's talking about that seven means that it's the perf- perfection of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is moving from the throne of God. And that this throne, because the Holy Spirit is found in the church, is not just in God's kingdom it, it, above. It's actually the throne of God and the kingdom of God goes to and from into the earth via the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to continue to worship and, and continue to look at what worship looks like because that's what John does. Uh, he comes before God, and John chapter 1, verses 9, 9 through 20 is this time where John is so in awe of what God is doing, he can hardly do anything. So let's listen to what, what uh, the words of Revelation share with us this morning. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in, this, in suffering and kingdom and patience and endurance, that, ours, that, that are ours in Christ Jesus, And I was on an island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which I said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I, was turned, I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like, a, someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his waist. His head and hair were like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like, a, were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the, second, the, the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held, a, held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And then he placed at his right hand on me, and he says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of, heaven, of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and thanks be to God. So the first big thing to remember today is that worship reveals truth. Worship reveals truth that God wants us to know, and it reveals truth about ourselves. So the the longer I have been in faith, the longer I realize that uh, faith is a a struggle and a walk at the same time. There's times where you you feel like you can walk on clouds, and there's times where you feel like you're in the bottom of the valley and you can't find your way up out of the muck and the mire. But worship reveals truth during these times. I was uh, experiencing, and, and I think that's the wrong word to use with worship nowadays. I'm just kind of, I'm not going to go on like a, a rabbit chase, but we talk about the experience of worship a lot. 
And, and I think we get it wrong when we say that. See, worship is not an experience. Worship is actually work of the people. It's the praising of God. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's us lifting our voices to God. And it's not just about an experience, because I can have all sorts of awesome experiences that are not of God at all. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll share you with an example. I was at, uh, has anybody ever been to a really awesome rock and roll concert before? Yeah, I mean, tell me if it's an awesome experience to be in front of people that you've watched or listened to all of your life, and all of a sudden you see them live playing the songs that you love, right? And you can have experiences there, that, it, and they talk about it being very similar to a worship-type experience, if, if worship is used as an experience. But worship is much more than that. Worship is being with God and, and sometimes doing the things that remind us of who God is in our life so that God can reveal our truth, even when we don't feel like experiencing what worship is about that day. I think worship in times where we can't seem to find our way to God is some of the most important times that we should be in front of God. Because it's the times we open up our life to where God can reveal truth in our life and really speak to us. And there's times where, I, I'll be honest with you, there's been times, you know, in, in the past, you know, 15 years of ministry where I'm, I'm in a really rotten place in my life. And I get up in the morning on Sunday and I'm like, I really wish I could just call in this morning. Have you ever felt like that with jobs, maybe, or even regular life? That you just want to call in that day and say, you know what, I'm not doing anything. And it's those times where I get up out of, out of bed and I, and I make myself pray. And I'm like, God, I don't even think you can hear me. He does hear you. But then you say, well, God, I can't hear you. But that's okay because eventually when you, start, when you actually follow through, when you're reminded of who God is, when you go through those times where you are making yourself do the things that help remind you of who God is, those are the times where God shows up. And I, think, I don't think John was really, was really ready to hear what God was go and to see what God was going to do during this time that he wrote this, this passage, this time where he wrote this letter to the churches. But when he's worshiping, God shows up and he reveals this magnificent truth to him. So the first thing to remember is that worship brings truth in your life. It reveals it and it reminds you of the truth that God is. So John is this brother, as he shares in this first, verse, the first couple of verses, says, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the, the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John reminds us first off that he's our brother and, and he's a brother in persecution. And if you look up here, I actually found a, a really good picture, uh, and you can't see it as well as you could uh, in, on like a computer screen, but this is a picture of Patmos, the only dwelling that's on this island that he was at that now is a church. Of course, you know, the church is going to put a church <laughs> in one of those locations if it's, it's significant. But this is the island. There is very little there uh, that's, that's life except some trees and things like that. He was sent there to die slowly. He didn't have much to eat or to drink. So basically, he was starved and, and uh, starved to death over a period of time. 
And that's what they wanted to do with him. They put him in exile. You wouldn't want to live on an island like that all your life. Now, some people might. I don't think I would, especially if you don't have food, good food and water. And, and he's there, and he is sharing with it. I am suffering with you guys. And, and, and Jesus is actually, has actually come to him to share with him that this truth and these words of comfort. And this, this is what he is sharing with us as the church. Why is he there? It's because he's faithful. Why did anything happen to the disciples in persecution? It's because they were faithful. Our persecuted church in the world right now is being persecuted because they are faithful and true to what and who they are. And so John is writing to us, and this is what, where it gets really cool. He says in this, he talks about the, in this next verse, the Lord's Day. And this is where I feel like that we, if we hear uh, these words and kind of listen to what he's saying, he says, on this Lord's Day or the Lord's Day, he was filled in the Spirit. You see, the Lord's Day is not mentioned <laughs> very much in the Bible, the actual phrase, the Lord's Day. And it came early on in the church because early in the church, the Lord's Day was not referred to as Sunday. <laughs> it was referred to as the Lord's Day because that is when the Lord rose from the dead. That is the resurrection time. And so during this time, when John says the Lord's Day, he's not referring to the Sabbath. That's when the synagogues would be worshiping. He's actually referring to Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually Saturday. I don't know if some people don't know that. But the Sabbath then was Saturday in the synagogues. But this is the Lord's Day. So in other words, the, the Christians at the time were no longer worshiping at the same time as those that would be in the synagogue, as the early Jewish people when this was written. The Christians had started to realize that they were no longer welcome in the synagogues because the, there were many Jews that did not believe that Christ was the Messiah. So this dates this book to most likely John is writing this at a later age in his life. He is probably old, which is why if you look him up and, and look up John the Revelator, whatever you'd like to say, he's going to be depicted as an old man because they believe he was super old at this time and he was actually writing in, in, in around 90 A.D. The temple of, of the, um, the, the Jewish temple was probably most likely destroyed by this time uh, because it was wrecked by the Romans. And so he is writing in a time where Christians and Jews are no longer worshiping on the same space in the same day. And while that's significant, I think it actually shares a very important thing with us is that when, when this took place, it, it, it significantly made that movement that Jesus was, that started, the, the movement of God, it made it, it solidified it, it made it that Christianity was setting aside the old ways and was beginning with this new covenant that was made in Jesus Christ. And so he's worshiping, and it says he was in the Spirit and I think that's really important to hear is that when he was, in, he was caught in the Spirit, he was in this moment of worship, and this is when God's truth came to him. Not in a, just any time. He was in the Spirit is what it's written. And so in the Spirit, just like it's found in other prophets in the, in the Bible, uh, if you look in Daniel, he was in the Spirit. If you look in Isaiah, he, when he was before God, he was in the Spirit. When you are in the Spirit, God is going to speak to you, and sometimes he's going to speak to you uh, and, and say things that you're not ready for. And I don't think any prophet is ever ready <laughs> to hear fully what God wants him to say or wants him to share. 
I don't think anybody's really ready to hear fully that truth because sometimes it hits us in different ways and, and, and reminds us in different ways of who we are. We may not be ready for it. <laughs> and then, then John shares in the next few verses about these, these lampstands, these golden lampstands, these churches that are there. And, and he shares at the end of the, of the Scripture that they, are, um, that they are the seven churches the lampstands are. So there's seven churches that John talks about in Revelation. And uh, these churches sometimes have been misunderstood to be seven periods of time. Uh, No, they're not. (laughs) The seven periods of time idea doesn't really make much sense if you take it to its fullest extent. If you actually want to take a moment to look at it, and I I brought a map up here, it's it's really simple. Uh, The map shows how simple this was. John actually wrote the seven churches out because it was the easiest route to take on the road to go down the road to share this message to these seven churches. You would go to one, you would go to two, you go to three, four, five, six, and seven, right straight around in a full circle and come back to where you were before. So these seven churches are mapped out in an easy Roman's road, so to speak, because Romans were awesome at building roads, and that's why they expanded their kingdom so much. And so when you get to Laodicea, if you actually read through, you'll see that Laodicea is one of the most famous ones because, you know, it's the lukewarm church. Well, see, Laodicea is furthest away from the mountains, and by the time the water gets down to Laodicea, it's no longer cold, it's no longer hot, the sun has baked it all the way down, and so it's lukewarm. Is anybody ever like drinking lukewarm water? I'm not talking about room temp water. I'm talking about that like 80, 85 degree water. It's disgusting. Nobody wants it. And that's why Jesus says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And, and, and so when we get to these churches, there's some very practical things that are happening as he's sharing the, the purpose of who these, and what these churches are doing in, in, the, in their communities and sometimes not doing in their communities. So this time period is 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 or this this these seven churches are is, is simple. It's that this is their route that they're taking throughout the land. And then there's this description of Jesus. I love this description of Jesus. In fact, if you've had a chance to follow along this morning, I'm going to read this description one more time. It's just it's a beautiful description of our Savior. He said, "It says, then I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, the churches we learned, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man." Now, if we hear this this Son of Man, we should if if you've looked in or if you've read the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was referred to as the Son of Man over and over in the Gospel of Mark. He's also referred to as the Son of Man in Daniel. He's also referred to as the Son of Man in Isaiah. He's also referred to as the Son of Man in Ezekiel. So Jesus is here. Jesus is present. And it says, I saw the Son of Man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with golden sash around his chest. Now, for folks that have been reading through the Bible, and it got really boring in Le- Leviticus, didn't it, Jim? Say amen, because it did. We were, we were struggling. We've been read, uh, a group of us has been reading through the Bible in a year. And Le- when you're reading three and four chapters of Leviticus at one time, don't be driving your car down the road. I'm just going to say you will fall asleep. It's pretty easy. And, and you get lost in the details where this is really important here. Jesus' description is a description of, of a priest. It's not just any robe. It's a robe, as he's described with the golden sash, is, a, is, is one of the descriptions of the priests. And in fact, it goes so great as about a ch- they usually had chest plates full of gold. I don't know how they moved. 
because um, they were just had all the stuff that they were holding. They were probably weighed 50 pounds. I mean, I couldn't imagine, but it, this description is of a priest, and it goes on to share uh, even in more about it. It says, his hair was, was white like wool, his white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were bronze and gl- glowing in a furnace. And so when we're describing this, we're describing his eyes, his feet, his, his whole self glowed in radiance. His whole countenance was glowing in this glory as he's standing before Christ. And when we, when we see this description, it's not only this description of a priest, but he is describing someone who's very king-like as well. The golden sash around his waist, the golden sash or the golden belt around his head. He is a king as well. And then it says his voice was like the sound of rushing water. So not only is he a priest, not only is he a king, he's also described here as someone who's speaking truth, who is a prophet. See, there are three here, right? Again, (laughs) we got a three here. And why is it important? Well, throughout the history of the church, the church has understood Jesus as being prophet, priest, and king. And his work comes in those three capacities to people around. He's a prophet because he shares the truth, and the truth sets us free. He's a king because he he rules over our lives, and he's a priest because he ministers to us. He shares forgiveness, and he also heals us in that forgiveness. So Jesus is priest, prophet, and king, and we see it in Scripture here. Why has the church taught that for years? It's because Jesus has been that for us. It's amazing when you see why the church does and teaches the way the church does, and we can see it in Scripture. So Jesus is priest, prophet, and king. But the other part of this is even better. Because he hears the voice of God, he hears the voice of Christ thundering, and then he turns around and it says, he see, it, you see this Son of Man standing in the middle of the golden lampstands. Now, I get really excited about this because I think about these golden lampstands, seven golden lampstands. Okay, I want you to picture this for just a moment. What is another way of looking at seven golden lampstands? It is a Jewish menorah. The seven lights of of the church is, is, is symbolic of this Jewish menorah. And Jesus is standing in the middle of these lights, if you are someone who is hurting and you feel like that you're lost and alone, if you've been persecuted as the church and you know that you're those seven lampstands and you're John, you turn around and you see that Jesus is in the middle of that, tell me how comforting is that? To know that Jesus is not outside of that light, he's in the middle of everything that church is going through. You're not alone, in other words. You're there. He is there with the church in that suffering. He's there in the church with that persecution. He is there. He is the lights on the lampstands of the churches. I, I, I think it's awesome. It's the most powerful symbol I could ever imagine if I'm looking at this and understanding it and saying, Hey, God is with me through everything. Not only is he with me, he gives me the light to see, and he's in the middle of the church. He's in the middle of it all. It's an amazing thing when we look at that and know that God is with us in all that we go through. There's times in my life where I've needed to hear that. 
How many people have gone through just stuff that you, you really couldn't describe it in church because you really want to use colorful language because it's the only way you can describe it? Have you gone through that before? I mean, life just stinks. I'm not going to use the other word because I just don't feel like it's appropriate for church, but it stinks, right? I mean, life, you go through these times where you feel like that you might be alone, but here we see in Scripture you're never alone. And, and I've, I don't know if, if, if you've ever gone through times where you felt like that people have purposely hurt you, or maybe you felt like even some people may have even been persecuted. I don't, I don't really um, get into that too much because I feel like that our persecution and, and the, the other persecution that happens around the world are two very different things. But persecution through words and ridicule and, and stuff, if you have that happen to you every single day, maybe it's at home, maybe it's around friends, maybe it's around coworkers, that can weigh on you as well. But if you've ever experienced persecution, realize that God is standing there with you in that persecution. He says, I'm right here with you. Look at my light. Look at me standing with you, the church. Powerful stuff here, folks. Powerful stuff. And it says, then I saw him, I fell at his feet. (laughs) He fell at the feet of Christ. What would you do? That's the question that I have in my mind. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And then he says, he placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. There's two places in the Bible that we hear this, and one in particular is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is before the throne of God. He says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I I have sinned, in other words. I'm before the throne of God right now. Woe to me. I'm I'm done for because I can't stand before God. He's fearful. And God says to him the same words that we hear here. Do not be afraid. He touched his lips with a coal, it says in in Isaiah. And he says, "You're, you're clean. In other words, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. I love this because when we come before God, when we worship Him, when God reveals truth, and sometimes truth hurts us. The truth sets us free, but it's not easy because sometimes when it sets us free, it hurts. It doesn't feel good because we realize that we are unclean. We haven't done right in our life, whatever it might be. We feel like that we're not worthy enough. And that's something that we can go through sometimes. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. There's a song that's out, that I love this song, it says, fear is a liar. In other words, God is telling us, don't fear because fear is lying to you and saying that you, are, that you can't be before me because God says that's not true because God makes, it, makes us be able to be in front of him. He loves us that much. He doesn't want to be away from us. So don't, don't give in to that lie. In other words, don't be afraid. I'm here with you. He takes his hand, says, don't be afraid. And he says, and behold, I am alive. I was once dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Again, if you're listening and you're a persecuted Christian, kind of get this in your mind. If you realize that you have been arrested, let's say, for, for 
treason against the Roman Empire. Maybe you've, been, maybe you've been arrested because you would not give in and bow down to the Roman God. And I shared last week that Christians were often called atheists because they did not bow to the Roman emperor as a god. They wouldn't receive those sacrifices and it, the meat sacrifices that were given to the Romans' gods. And, and they, would not, they would say, I'm not going to eat of that. Because if I do, then I'm given in to those gods. I'm not doing that. And so they would be called atheists by the Roman Empire, and they would be put to death because they would not bow to the emperor. They wouldn't bow to those things. If you're, here, if you're the Christian that's persecuted, maybe you're in the middle of this lion's, this lion's den or this Roman arena, you know you're about to get ripped apart by lions. Maybe you're about to face, uh, face a cross. Maybe you're about to face being burned. I mean, all the things that you can read of what they used to do with Christians. If you hear the words here that says that Jesus has the keys of death, and the word is Hades, not hell. Sometimes it's translated hell, but it's actually Hades. And at that point, it's meaning afterlife. <laughs> That's the part, like the Jewish understanding of, of hell is not, or, or that afterlife, Hades, is different than our understanding of it. So our understanding of hell as being the place where Satan is, and, and that's different than Hades, okay? Hades is talking about the, after, or the, the world between worlds, if that makes sense. And so Jesus has the key of death and Hades in his hands. He has all of this in his hands. If you know you're about to die, all of a sudden you realize that God has everything under control. Everything is in his hands. There's a, there's a phrase that somebody shared with me years ago, and I, I say it often. I said, God's got this, and he always does. And if we look at what John is going through in his life and, and what he is facing himself on this island he realizes his death is not in his hands, it never has been. His death is not in the Roman Empire's hands, it never has been. His death is in, in, in his life or in God's hands because God in Christ Jesus holds those keys. And it's not just death, but in, in life that comes eternal in the resurrection. That hope that's found in Jesus Christ is what he's trying to share here to those around him. So he goes on to say, write, therefore, what you have seen, what, you, what is now and what is to take place later. The mystery of the seven stars, which you've seen in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Years ago when I heard this, I was blown away. Wow. Thunder, isn't that crazy? Years ago when I heard this, I was blown away because it was perfect timing, by the way, just, you know. Um, so years ago I heard, I, I heard that something pretty amazing. So we've got the, 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 uh, the number seven, right? There's seven churches. Now there really are seven churches that he's talking about. But there's a reason he uses the number seven. There's more than seven churches in the kingdom at this point. There's more than seven churches. It's God has expanded his kingdom big time. But seven means what? Completeness, wholeness, perfection. We hear that there are seven 
stars is saying the seven angels that are the seven angels of the seven churches. I realized when I heard this for the first time and understood it this way for the first time that I realized that God has empowered an angel to protect all of our churches. We have an angel for New Song. (laughs) I love it because God can do that. Did you know there's an angel for every church that God has empowered? Every congregation out there. In other words, God has given angels the power to help us in all that we do. And so it's even, it's even affirmed in, a, in Hebrews when it talks about that in worship, there's a great cloud of witnesses in the church. And it's because angels are a part of who we are as, as a body of Christ. Angels are looking over our church right now. I love it. God shares with us that we're never alone all through this passage. We're never alone. And also, we are always protected by God's power. That was so much comfort years ago. When I read this, I was like, there's an angel every, every week, every day. And it's not just here in the church building. It's the angel of the church. So when you're a part of a congregation at New Song, when you're a part of a congregation maybe down the road at one of our sister churches or down the road, at, uh, it doesn't matter what denomination you're in, when you're with that church, that angel goes with you wherever you go because you are the church. It's not the building. And in fact, back then, the church would not even have a building in most places. There were house churches all over the place. So you better believe they needed protection. <laughs> and today, I just know in, in the world today, we need to hear more words of comfort knowing that we're not alone. There's just so many people out there <laughs> that feel like they are. That they get down, they get out, they, they turn away from friends and family. They think that they're completely alone. But we're never alone, amen? We're always in the presence of Christ. He is in, in the church. We're always with the angels because we have an angel as a part of our church. I love it. And at the end, we can go back to worship. If we are worshiping God, God reveals truth in our life. He reveals truth that we need to hear, truth that we need to see, truth that we need to live. And God, when he goes with us, wants us to take that truth to others, to hear, to see, and to live. So today, as we close in our service, we'll be reminded of who the church is. The church is one that stands with Christ because Christ stands with us. When we are persecuted, Christ is there with us because he was the first to be persecuted for us. He loves us, he cares for us, and he wants us to go and love others like he's cared and loved us. In this world where we feel like that we're alone, Christ stands with us and says, you're never alone. In this world that teaches us that we sometimes have to do things by ourselves, Christ says, I give you angels and power and and glory that you can see is taking place among you. You're never alone. You're never alone. So today, as you go and celebrate and remember this day uh, for your mom, Moms that have come, moms that are around you, moms that you know. Remember that comfort that maybe you've received from someone who was like your mom and know that these words are meant to be that as well. 
You're never alone. God is always with you. God will never leave you or forsake you. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your love, your comfort, your mercy for us. We thank you for all you all you are. And God, as we are living our lives, we ask that you help remind us that you are always with us. That just as the church 